Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your hosts are Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends and family with the resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here are your hosts, Sharon and Becky. Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. My name is Becky Olson. I'm a three-time, 20-year survivor of advanced stage breast cancer. I'm also a professional speaker and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. Now, Sharon, who's the other co-host, she's off this week. In fact, we took turns vacationing in Europe, and I just got back, and she's there now. Um, But, you know, before we get into the show, I really want to take a couple minutes and share something from my heart. You know, so many people talk about the things they want to do someday. And one of the things on my list to do someday was to go to Italy. Now, I've been there twice before. This is my third time, but I've never done it like this. And this is what I always wanted to do. I went to Italy. I rented an apartment with my husband um, for a month. And we used our little apartment in Rome as our home base. And we got to know the people and the culture and it was it was an incredible thing and Mm -hmm. you know being there we realize how short life can be and I remember looking back when my mom my mom and I shared the same uh, birthday month and I was turning 25 she was turning 50 and I realized back then and that was a long time ago that that was the last time she'd be more than twice my age and that I remember that day like it was yesterday and now my mom is gone she passed away in March of 2016 left a huge hole in my heart but fortunately for us I guess my mom did have a little insurance policy that she was able to share with with the three of you know with me and my siblings and we used that money to do this trip of a lifetime so my husband and I went there on our 37th wedding anniversary and I I'll tell you I fell in love again with Italy he did too we'll probably go back someday but their whole purpose for this message to you right now is, you know, we all have things on our list that we want to do someday, things that we dream about doing. But I know I'm preaching to the choir when I say this, there, there is no day called someday. And my advice is pick a date and then find a way because once you pick that date, magic happens. There was a wonderful quote by Les Brown. He said, the graveyard is the richest place on earth because it is here that you will find all the hopes and dreams that were never fulfilled, the books that were never written, the songs that were never sung, the inventions that were never shared, the cures that were never discovered, all because someone was too afraid to take that first step. So if you have something in your heart, a deep longing to do something, to write a book, to sing on stage, to volunteer your time in a cause you care about, or like we did, to start a nonprofit, Share your desire and your vision with someone you trust, and that's key. Make sure it's someone you trust. Figure out with that person how to take baby steps toward that vision. And once you start, the rest follows. It's kind of an amazing thing. I I know Nike has that wonderful saying, just do it. Well, Becky has a saying that says, just start. And once you start, you can't do anything until you start. And it's amazing what happens when you you take that first step. So, you know, as a professional speaker, I meet a lot of women who want to become speakers because they believe they too have a story to share. And they do. We all have a story to share. But sometimes knowing where to start is tough. And I've been coaching women for the last few years. And over time, I've been, I started to think about writing a book about how to become an inspirational speaker. And it's kind of the basics. And I thought, you know, 
maybe going to Italy is a good time to do that. So I took my computer and I launched the first few chapters of my book and I wrote the first 10,000 words sitting on the kitchen table in the apartment that, that we shared in Italy. So, you know, and that's how I wrote my last book. I just started it and I didn't stop until it was done. Um, this one's not done yet, but my goal is to finish it, get it published and for sale by the end of the year. And We'll have more on that later as I get closer to that point. And Sharon also has a book that she's getting ready to publish, and it's called Thriving Beyond Cancer. So it all starts with a vision, a goal, and then baby steps just to get started. So don't be afraid of taking that first step. It starts with the vision, and I already know if you're listening to this, you have that vision. So don't let it stop there. So thank you for letting me share my heart on with the show and we have a wonderful guest today who had a vision and she got started and she started an organization about cancer rehabilitation closing the gap in patient care and our guest today is dr tracy bender welcome dr bender thanks for joining us today thank you so much becky i'm really excited to be on with you today Well, I love talking with you earlier just to kind of get acquainted with you a little bit, and I love what you're going to share with us today. So Dr. Bender is an occupational therapist who specializes in two emerging areas of practice, lymphedema therapy and cancer rehabilitation. She started an LLC in 2015 called Resilience Rehabilitation. Love that name. Love it so much. So, so Dr. Bender, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your business, Resilience Rehabilitation. What is it? What can people expect if they, if they go to you for what you do there? Let's just start with that. Okay. Well, the LLC that I started, Resilience Rehabilitation, basically the point of that is to increase awareness about cancer rehabilitation, lymphedema treatment, and kind of the importance of that mind-body-soul connection in recovery. Mm -hmm. And so with resilience, you know, my main goal and purpose is to go out and educate, uh, do some speaking engagements, and then also develop products for women to use, or or men, anybody who needs those products, uh, Mm -hmm. basically for meditation purposes uh, to help promote wellness. Okay, so you're so when you talk about resilience re- rehabilitation, you're you're kind of talking about the physical, the mind, the body, the spirit. That whole it's all connected. Then, if if I'm understanding you correctly, absolutely, that is exactly what I'm talking about. Excellent. So, okay, so let's talk about your role as an occupational therapist. And, you know, we all hear that term, occupational therapy, and, you know, it wasn't until I had lymphedema that I kind of started to get a sense of what that meant. So why don't you speak to to that area of occupational therapy and how it relates kind of generally to cancer recovery? Absolutely. I'm actually an occupational therapist at the Southeast Nebraska Cancer Center in Lincoln, Nebraska, and we started the therapy department there about a year and a half ago, just realizing that survivorship is such an important part of this journey, and we wanted to be able to kind of offer an all-encompassing approach to cancer care, wellness, and survivorship. So what all does it include if somebody goes there? Well, as an occupational therapist, um, that's kind of my first role. So when I complete an occupational therapy evaluation, I'm looking at what a person's occupations are and how they perform those in their lives. So Mm -hmm. ideally, I want to see somebody before they start their journey. That's not the only way to do it, but we like to kind of get a baseline and know what's important to you. And people confuse occupation with a job. It can be a job, but an occupation 
is anything that's important to you, any role that you hold uh-huh. in your life, you know, being a mother, uh-huh. being a, a sister, a wife, you know, the, the job that you hold, any of those things are important. They're also important for people to be able to return to after they take that cancer journey. Boy, how true is that? You know, what one of the things that we hear from patients sometimes, like before they go in and maybe they're going to get a mastectomy or something, and they've got a small child, one that still needs to be held and carried. They're always worried about after my mastectomy, will I be able to carry my child? And and that's huge. I mean, they, they may not be working in an occupation outside the home, at least during that time, but but there's still, like you're saying, it's what's important. I got to be able to carry my nine-month-old, you know, and, and maybe my child weighs a lot. And so, so is that the kind of thing you're talking about being able to get yourself back to a place where you can do that? Yep, absolutely. You know, anything that holds meaning to you, that's a daily occupation for you is something that we want to focus on. So we do have patients that have young children. We have patients that are pregnant. You know, we have a lot of those kinds of things going on. So it is really important for women to know that every role that they hold is something that they are going to be able to return to or figure out how to adapt while they're going through mm-hmm. treatment and beyond. Okay. Yeah, that's so important, isn't it? You know, and the adapting part, I don't know. Sometimes you wonder, well, how could you adapt to around that situation? But, you know, when you, like you said, when something's important, we find a way. We always do. Um, so you're also a yoga instructor. Mm-hmm. Is that right? I'm actually a certified restorative yoga instructor. And okay, what does that mean? yoga is purposeful relaxation. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I could use that today. <laughs> so tell, tell us about that. Well, basically we use props and uh, different types of ways to kind of isolate the senses. And we mm-hmm. want to, it, it's purposeful relaxation. So a lot of women don't ever stop to take a break. And if we do, we're sleeping. So it's almost hard for women to do when we first get started. And uh, basically we're asking you to kind of lay still for you know, an hour, hour and a half, and we're taking you through relaxation. We're teaching you where and how you hold stress in the body. Mm-hmm. We're teaching you breathing and basically, you know, kind of how to just do that overall relaxation. Most of us are not very good at it, we find. <laughs> I'm sitting here getting sleepy just thinking about it, <laughs> you know, because you're right. To just try to be still for an hour? Is that what you said? To be still for yes. an hour? It, oh, my gosh. Stillness. We are taking, um, we, we do different positions, and we, we actually prop, uh, use, use different types of props to help prop you into different positions to kind of show mm-hmm. you different ways where you might be holding stress in the body. We walk right, you okay. through relaxation techniques, and then, like I said, we kind of isolate the senses. So we're going to place an eye pillow over your eyes, and we have gentle music playing, and we use essential oils and things. So we're really stimulating everything while we're kind of cutting off the senses at the same time, if that makes sense. It does. Let me ask you this question. I mean, laying still for an hour, I can probably do that because, you know, sometimes we all have those moments where we just don't want to do anything. But how do I turn off my brain? You know, my brain is not still. It's I'm thinking about, you know, next week's show or I'm thinking about a patient that we just dealt with or I'm thinking about the next chapter in my book. How do you turn off the brain during that hour of of restorative relaxation? How, How do you do that? Is there a tip? That's a great question, you can and us- it takes a lot of practice. And actually, we're, we're guiding you through a lot of what we're doing. And so a body scan is, is part of that. So we're walking you through relaxing every part of the body. 
So oh, we're giving you okay. a little bit of direction, um, but as you as you get better at it, it does definitely take practice to be able to achieve it. Yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. Well, listen, let me ask you a question, Dr. Bender, because, you know, it sounds like you're very passionate about what you do. And what we have learned from almost every guest we've had on our show is something drove them to want to make these changes in their own personal life and get into something that is meaningful and fulfilling, like what you're doing. How did that happen for you? Well, to be honest with you, I was introduced to the field of occupational therapy because my mother suffered a traumatic brain injury when I was in high school. She Mm. had to go through an extended period of an inpatient rehabilitation stay and basically learn everything from the ground up. That must have been frightening. That that must have been frightening for you is that you were in high school when that happened? I was, yes. It it was a difficult time, but my mom was very resilient through that process. Well, that's good, and that's good. So I'm sorry to interrupt. It just kind of hit me, and I got goosebumps. So I was trying to picture <laughs> that as a as a young, you know, teenage girl like that. So, so c- carry on. I'm sorry. So she had a brain injury, and you, I got lost there. <laughs> Go back well, again I, for a moment. As I was introduced to the field of occupational therapy, what I loved about it is it's such a broad field. We can do basically mm-hmm. anything, and the guiding force is meaning. What could be better than that? And yeah. so I, I started to learn that all of the different things that I was passionate about really came together in that one field that I could pretty much do anything with it. And that's kind of where I got started. Ah, okay. Well, that's good. And then you had your own personal cancer story, didn't you? Did I read that correctly about you? I actually did not end up having cancer, but I did have a partial mastectomy. I had a large mass in my breast. That was removed, and um, they were fairly certain that it was cancer in the beginning, so I kind of went through that roller coaster (sighs) ride that women go through. I've learned a great deal about that emotional experience. Wow. Yeah. You know, and we we talk to women sometimes that, and this is going to sound a little weird, I know, but we we talk to women who had, you know, a cancer scare kind of like you did, and then it turns out that they did have pre-cancer. They had, you know, cells in their breasts that that they thought could become cancer. And and then after they found that out and they just did some little, you know, lumpectomy or something and they, they kind of really downplay it at that time. But there's a guilt that we, that sometimes follows that. Like they, they don't know whether to call themselves a survivor because they never went through all the trauma, but you know what? You went through the scare of, of it possibly being cancer. And that scare makes you a survivor in, in my book. And um, so, you know, because that when you when you think you might have cancer and that's just um, it's it's a frightening thing until they rule it out. So how did how did that impact you? Did you have that a similar experience with that or or not? You know, people think I'm crazy when I say this, but I'm really, really grateful for that experience. Yeah, I, I don't wish that upon anyone, but I'm definitely a much better therapist. I think about things in a very different perspective having yeah. gone through that emotional experience as well as the physical experience, you know, experiencing mm-hmm. the surgery and the scar tissue, yeah. nerve regeneration, the things that my patients experience, I can speak mm-hmm. to that. And I yeah. think that's been very helpful. Yeah. No, I get, I totally understand that. You know, I've had breast cancer three times and all three times it was pretty advanced. And, and I say to people all the time that having cancer is one of the greatest blessings of my life. And, 
to your point, you know, they do kind of think you're crazy when you say that, but it does lead you in directions that maybe you wouldn't have gone but are supposed to go. And sometimes we're allowed to experience things that, you know, maybe seem kind of weird, but, you know, it's what you learn from those experiences. And obviously this led you down a path of doing some pretty amazing work. So we have a couple minutes left in this segment before we go out to break. And I know one of the big things that you get involved in is lymphedema and kind of spend a lot of time in this area. So why don't you take about a minute or two and explain in layman's terms, what is lymphedema, what causes it, and why does it linger so long? And if we don't get through before the break is over, we'll pick it up on the other side. So why don't we get started on that conversation? Okay. Well, lymphedema is a chronic swelling that's caused by a buildup of lymphatic fluid, which is a protein-rich fluid, and that occurs when the lymphatic system is either faulty or damaged. And we can develop lymphedema in two ways or a combination of both. Primary lymphedema means that some part of that lymphatic system may not have been properly developed at birth and will get overwhelmed from just your kind of general life circumstances. And secondary lymphedema basically means that we've created some type of damage to the system. That can be any number of things, but in the United States, the number one cause of secondary lymphedema is cancer treatment. Yeah, because they go in and they remove all those lymph nodes, and those lymph nodes are part of that lymphatic system and that makes sense lymphedema very true and i and we're all and i know familiar that familiar with lymph nodes but one of the things that most people are not familiar with is the very detailed intricate vessel system that we have throughout the body it's kind mm-hmm. of a cir- second circulatory system so just like you know the the veins and arteries run through the body we have a very detailed uh, system of vessels in the lymphatic system that play a very big role and they can often be damaged from different components of treatment as well Right. Okay. And and that lymphatic system, which is all over your body, is kind of right under the, it's it's not deep inside the body. It's pretty close to the surface, isn't it? Yep. Just in the skin surface. Yeah. Which I think a lot of people don't realize. And that's, and we'll, maybe we can talk a little bit about that on the other side, because we are running out or we're actually up to the break. But uh, let's talk about like how, how to kind of some of the things that we can do as a, as a patient who's dealing with some of these, how to kind of take care of that. So we are going to go out to break. Stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When a woman is diagnosed with cancer, she faces unique challenges. No one understands this better than the experts at Compass Oncology. Our women's cancer program includes a team of specialists in breast and gynecologic cancers, genetic testing, and the ongoing care of women with high risk factors. From targeted therapies and clinical trials to needed emotional support, Compass is a leader in treating women's cancer. Find out more at compassoncology.com. 
When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a car that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking about cancer rehabilitation, closing the gap in patient care with our guest, Dr. Tracy Bender. And Dr. Bender, just before the break, we were talking about lymphedema and you did a great job explaining kind of what causes it and how it happens. Why does it linger in some women for so long? I mean, I I had lymphedema in my right arm from my first diagnosis in 1996. So it's been 21 years and I still have swelling in my right arm and it's not so bad that I have to wear a sleeve, but um, it's, you know, it's definitely there. And for some women, it just, it's going to be something for the rest of their lives. And for others, it's kind of a temporary thing. So what's the difference? What makes it last so long in some women? Well, Becky, lymphedema is a chronic condition, but the reason Mm -hmm. for that is because it's a system-wide problem. A lot of the components of cancer treatment create a permanent change to the lymphatic system. And so Mm -hmm. when we get out of balance with the amount of fluid we produce versus the amount we can circulate, we can have some chronic problems. The more we learn about lymphedema uh, and the more uh, progressive we are with treatment, learning all of the preventative strategies and getting involved as soon as possible, the better outcomes we're seeing. So the earlier stage that we catch that lymphedema in, the better that people can manage that on their own. Okay. And, and you know, a lot of people don't realize how amazingly painful it can be until they've experienced it. You know, if you take a water balloon or you take a balloon and fill it with water and it gets bigger and bigger and then one day it bursts, that's kind of how you can feel sometimes. Like, you know, my, I remember after my treatment and I had, I had all the lymph nodes or 16 lymph nodes taken out from under my armpit that hurt more than the mistake or than the lumpectomy because that's what I had at the time that hurt more than the lumpectomy and I mean I couldn't even lift my arm it was so heavy and I just I wanted to take a pin and pop it and let all this stuff come out you know (laughs) it's really painful and some people really experience that for a very long time so when they go to a lymphedema specialist a therapist like you what what is the kind of and we have to do this quickly because I want to get on to some other topics with you but what can they expect to have happen when they go into a therapist what 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 is it you're going to do and what are you going to teach them to do for self-care after the fact The number one thing that I do is start with education. The more that you understand the system, the better compliance people normally have with the recommended treatment. If I explain to you that you need to do five different things, but I don't tell you why, you're going to be a lot less likely to do it. 
Oh, I love you so much. (laughs) Explanation of the system itself and how it works and kind of how you get it back into balance. It's a very smart system. So if you do it correctly, um, you can really kind of learn how your system responds. Some of the things we do for self-management are exercises, uh, weight control, using a a good diet, staying well hydrated, exercise programs that promote lymphatic flow, and the use of compression. And it needs to be properly fitted by a therapist who's experienced in that. And then you need to keep up with the life of the garment. A lot of compression garments have about a six-month life. So you can't wear the same compression sleeve for five years. Yeah, and then as as you get the swelling under control, then would you change size of the garment too? Because it it, it just needs to kind of stay. You don't want too much tightness in the beginning, so it might be a bigger sleeve. And then as it starts to reduce down, is that is that correct? Or am I speaking out of my head? Yeah, we would complete decongestive therapy. We would decongest the limb before we would place it in compression. Oh, we want to okay. get it down to the most normal size that we can before we introduce compression because compression is meant to contain swelling. But yes, okay. I mean, if you continue to reduce with your garment, you definitely need to go uh, with sizing that's appropriate. You know, you just taught me, you just gave me some new information about the compression sleeve is not, like you just said, not designed to actually re- reduce the amount. It's, it's meant, meant to maintain it and keep it. Yeah, that's good. That's good to know because I don't know that a lot of people know that. They, they think the sleeve is going to reduce the swelling and it's really just, okay, well, that's good information. Thank you. I appreciate that. So, um, well, let me ask you something. I, I know everybody that's in business, they have challenges, they have blessings. What are some of the greatest challenges you face in doing your work with all the different patients that you, that you support? Well, to be really honest with you, the biggest challenge that I face is a a lack of awareness of the conditions that I treat and the services that are available. Uh, Probably one of my biggest goals is creating awareness. So this is a great opportunity to have a lot of people listen um, and just understand that just like if you were to have a hip replacement, you would automatically be recommended to a therapist. Cancer treatment should be no different. You need to have a rehab professional involved because if you don't, we end up living a new sense of normal and we don't need to do that. There's many things that we can treat along this journey because the majority of our survivors have residual effects. So just creating that awareness and and just getting it out there that this is actually something available to people is probably the biggest challenge we face. We you know, I real I pre- I appreciate what you're saying because you know, and, and maybe this is more of an up and coming thing. But when I went through it my first time, you know, as I mentioned, 21 years ago, there wasn't really a comprehensive um, rehabilitation kind of concept in place that I'm aware of. And no. you know, I this is this something that's relatively new. This idea of kind of the wholeness because you know we, we always talk about the new normal for cancer patients but what I'm hearing from you is it doesn't have to be that different if you know from what is your actual normal um, if you can get everything working together did I did I hear that correctly absolutely you did okay yes, okay it is it's an emerging area of practice and you're really going to start seeing these programs developing all throughout the United States um, we recently had a, a conference at MD Anderson uh, Hospital for a big group of occupational therapists who are working in this emerging area, and we're still kind of defining everything that this means because it is new and it, it needs to exist, 
and there's variations of programs throughout the United mm-hmm. States. Okay. So is neuropathy treatment part of that? Because I still battle that. And that, that started after my second battle in 2004. And it was a direct result of the chemotherapy. And my feet are terrible. They're numb. They're numb on the bottom. So sometimes I can't feel where I'm walking, but then they burn on top on the toes. And I still haven't dealt with that because I don't know what is available. So, and I know many, many women deal with neuropathy. Is that something that would be part of this kind of overall picture? Absolutely. We have a neuropathy protocol that we use in my department, and I actually developed that protocol based on my experience working in the neonatal intensive care unit, uh, where we basically are working to develop a sensory system in a preemie. So we take some of those concepts, but chemotherapy, uh, every different type of chemotherapy has a different effect on the nerve, and so we treat that accordingly, And and it can be inflammation, it can be directly from chemotherapy, it can be damage from scar tissue um, following surgery or radiation therapy. So mm. every neuropathy case is a little bit different, but there are definitely things that we can do to address that and improve it. Well, I think we should have a whole show on that because that's something we haven't really covered in detail. So, you know, and for you to have actually developed a protocol for the for little little bit, you know preemies, that, that's pretty impressive. I got goosebumps when you said that. You're quite a gal, actually. Um, so, okay, well, that, so that's part of it. And then I know that it's easy to get depressed and. Um, you know, what, sitting around, laying on the couch. I remember when I went through my first battle, I did actually take six months off from work because I had some disability that I was able to take. But I was also in school at the time, and people said to me, well, you should drop out of school for now, you know, postpone it for a while and stay home and take care of yourself. Well, for me, honestly, Dr. Bender, I know that if I stay home and take care of myself, what that means is I'm going to lay on my couch. You know, that quiet time we're talking about, I can relax, but my head would be spinning with really negative thoughts. And so I had to stay in school as a as just a way to kind of stay outside myself so I didn't get wrapped up in my head. Is that something that you find common with other people or am I just kind Absolutely. of a lunatic? And I, I think the psychosocial and emotional effects mm-hmm. of the treatment and the diagnosis itself are very profound and they aren't addressed mm-hmm. enough and they linger. You know, you may fill out a depression questionnaire at your doctor's office and things like that, but that just simply is not enough. Mm-hmm. You know, the way that we hold stress in our body greatly affects our physical health and develop of illnesses. And those are learned strategies and they are habitual strategies. So they are things that can be addressed and changed. But reducing stress, depression, and anxiety are very important for proper healing. And, you know, any, any of the physical things that we're addressing in therapy, I never start those unless I know how somebody's psychosocial and emotional health is as well. So how do you, how do you determine that? Is it done through just an interview or a questionnaire? How, how, do you, how do you process that and kind of figure out where someone is in their, in their path? There are many different assessments that we can complete, uh, but I usually start with an interview. And I basically just say, to my patient, hey, this is an area that I think isn't addressed enough, so I just want you to tell me how you're dealing with it. And generally, we have a box of Kleenex sitting on the bed because it's, <laughs> it's a moment where they're free to say anything they need to say. They don't have to be strong for anybody. They don't have to mm. look back. So That's beautiful. So session kind of ends up being a counseling session, but I need to know where they're at with that so that I know how to teach them strategies for coping um, and, and 
you know, developing healthy strategies along the way. That's wonderful. You know, I, I fired one of my doctors over a piece of Kleenex. So uh, <laughs> when you say Kleenex, it's like, oh, I like you. I, I like you a lot, actually. If you were here, I would come see you. Yeah, I was when I was diagnosed the second time, my physician at the time, um, she hadn't treated me for, she just was kind of a follow-up physician for six years after my first diagnosis. And when she had to give me my second diagnosis, she sat in the corner of her room and she read all these statistics to me and didn't even realize that I had tears in my eyes and I wasn't actually even crying over what she was saying I was crying over the fact that I'd been invited to speak at a Komen luncheon and the the subject or the theme of the luncheon was thriving after cancer and I was afraid now that they'd find out that I just got diagnosed again and they would cancel me and you know it was 1200 people there I don't want to be canceled for that event and I started crying and she didn't even know so my husband had to get up and go over to where she was sitting and get the box of Kleenex and bring me some so I could blow my nose and that's when she finally looked up at me and I thought you know (laughs) and then when she found out that's what I was worried about she told me I shouldn't even be concerned about that right now I just needed to take care of myself and she didn't have any knowledge of after six years she had no knowledge of who I actually was as a person and how important this speaking event was to me so it sounds like you guys actually interview the patient enough to really get hold of that and I, I value that I can't even tell you. I give speeches on this. I can't tell you how important that is as a cancer survivor to to be heard and to be understood, you know, by their care providers at whatever level, whether it's the, you know, oncologist or your occupational therapist, whoever it is, to have that sense of connection so they really get me, you know? And and I think all of us want that, but most of us don't know how to communicate that. So, you know, if you're listening to this show right now, our dear audience, you know, make sure that you're that you're getting that level of care. And if you're not, consider movement. You know, going someplace else because having that, you know, having knowing what makes your patients tick and motivates them, that's so important in the medical community. And I'm pleased to say that most physicians, I think, get that now. It's kind of a, like you said, it's sort of a up and coming thing. You know, to really pay attention to the whole thing, not just cure the cancer, but Let's let's cure the the mind and the health, the mental health, and all of those things. It's it's all related, and so anyway, Doctor Bender, you're doing a great job in your um, in your practice to make sure that that people are being heard. So thank you for you know for doing all of that. I really really appreciate that. Um, can we talk about what are the greatest blessings that you have found in your um, in your practice? Absolutely. You had mentioned earlier that having cancer was one of the greatest blessings in your life, and I love to hear that because we look at this rehab journey as an opportunity to live the best version of yourself. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you've struggled with things in the past, um, but this is an opportunity, and, and a lot of patients take the opportunity to make some really big life changes when they, they look at a cancer diagnosis or they, they feel like they're looking death in the face. So mm-hmm. we capitalize on that because we want to say, hey, from this point on, you can live your life any way you want. You mm-hmm. can lose weight. You can become active. You can deal with your depression, anxiety. You might be in a negative relationship or you know, any of those things, a job that doesn't suit you that's creating large amounts of stress in your life. So we basically kind of start from scratch and say, where do you want to go from here? We have to figure that out as we're dealing with all of these other things. 
we need to figure that out. So resilience is just the biggest blessing, watching people transform their lives and living the best version of themselves after what they see is the darkest period of their life. Yeah, I love hearing that. I really do. You know, you heard me mention earlier that my co-founder of Breast Friends, you know, we started this organization back in 2000 and she's writing a book and it's almost done. It's called Thriving Beyond Cancer. And that's kind of the, that's also the name of the retreats that Breast Friends offers for cancer patients when they're kind of done with their journey. And, you know, we don't take, we don't talk about the physical things you know we don't handle that we're not doctors we're not you know therapists in that way but but she is a certified life coach and she's taken some of those life coaching skills and that's what we do with that is you know teach kind of find out get people dreaming again get women dreaming about mm-hmm. you know that was that was my first part now here's my second part and what do I want to do in my second part so it's really nice that you guys have you know, you're doing that. And I, and I love that. I think it's so important that we, that no matter where a patient goes for care, we're all on the same page, you know, in, in the field that we're specializing in, but we're, we're all on the same page and we're all communicating a similar message. So thank you, you know, for that work that you do. Um, So I know we're going to, we're going to come up against the break here again. So let's talk a little bit more about the psychosocial and the emotional effects of a cancer diagnosis and treatment. Why is it important that we look at, at the psychosocial and emotional effects? What, 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 what should we be looking for and why is that so important? It's not just about treating the cancer. And I know we've touched a bit on that, but is there more you can add to it? Absolutely. You know, stress in general, which comes in so many forms in our busy lives, It can affect our immune system, and studies have shown that uh, stress interferes with the way certain cells in your immune system work. Mm -hmm. So in particular, it affects the cells that find and that kill emerging cancer cells. So Mm -hmm. it's important that we manage our stress. It's important that we are addressing these things, and, you know, there there is a form of post-traumatic stress disorder that is related to cancer. And it's, it's not as severe as a PTSD diagnosis, but for every patient, it's different. So it can last through the diagnosis and treatment. It can last for years beyond. And so we really need to be looking at those things and addressing them mm-hmm. and making sure mm-hmm. that the life choices we're making, those habitual daily choices of how we deal with problems and stress are healthy. Yeah, and we shouldn't wait until we have a cancer diagnosis to begin that process from what I'm hearing is, you know, because like Absolutely. you said, stress stress kind of allows those cancer cells to grow because it, it inhibits our immune system. So if we start these practices, you know, with yoga and, you know, counseling and the things that you're talking about that can help release that stress. So those are the things that are going to help us possibly prevent cancer in the future. We're On that note, we're going to go out to another short break. I know this show's going so fast, my gosh. Um, but we'll be back in a minute, so stay tuned. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. 
Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When a woman is diagnosed with cancer, she faces unique challenges. No one understands this better than the experts at Compass Oncology. Our women's cancer program includes a team of specialists in breast and gynecologic cancers, genetic testing, and the ongoing care of women with high risk factors. From targeted therapies and clinical trials to needed emotional support, Compass is a leader in treating women's cancer. Find out more at compassoncology.com. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. We've been talking about cancer rehabilitation and resilience with our guest, Dr. Tracy Bender. And this has been an amazingly informative um, interview. So, Dr. Bender, thank you so much for what you're sharing with us today. I do want to kind of pick up a couple more thoughts um, that we talked about in the last segment. And I think there's probably a couple things we haven't really discussed yet, uh, at least not in detail. And one of those is the importance of exercise throughout the process of cancer treatment and recovery. So let's can we speak a little bit more because the exercise word is one that a lot of people don't like very much. <laughs> so so let's put a new spin on that for us. That sounds great. Uh, you know, exercise is great kind of throughout the process. We've come to learn that during treatment itself, the exercise can actually help curb some of the side effects of the medications and things that we're taking and radiation therapy. So there's a lot of benefits to that. But then ongoing exercise, and I recommend to my patients 30 minutes of cardiovascular exercise five days a week, that can reduce our uh, risk of a recurrence of cancer by big numbers. So it's can important you tell us to why? kind of... Can you tell us why that? it does that? Why, why does it do that? Or how does it do well, that? How does it reduce the risk? It's a lot of body functions. We're increasing circulation. We're adding oxygen to the bloodstream. Um, we want to stay strong so that we deal with, you know, the minimal illnesses. Those don't get out of control. Um, exercise can also be a form of stress relief and a form of meditation. So those are things that kind of help keep us balanced as well as healthy. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, I had one of our guests one time on the show talked about exercise being important because our bodies collect fluid. You know, you talk about lymphedema, it collects fluid and it's kind of like sitting there. If you look at a pond that has no movement in or out, the water becomes stagnant. And so you need to get the water moving. So it it cleans itself out. And she kind of described exercise in our bodies the same way. If you don't move, everything just collects and it doesn't doesn't move and so by moving it you you kind of purify your system some and I I thought that was a really 
kind of good way to look at that. So, and then let's talk about, you know, when you talk about occupational therapy, you're like one component of a treatment team. How do you, how does a person communicate with the entire team and make sure everybody's, how do you do that? Is that, is that important? I'm fortunate to work within an outpatient cancer center and I'm surrounded by a great group of medical professionals that are very open and progressive as far as treatment goes. Um, So it's easy in my facility uh, to be able to do that because we work in a supportive environment. That's Mm -hmm. not the case for every group. And so there are people like nurse navigators that can sometimes um, intervene for patients and coordinate care. Uh, Sometimes that's up to patients and their family members to connect the dots, especially if they're living in a rural area and they're traveling, traveling to other areas for treatment. Um, so I usually like to tell patients if they don't have the luxury of that to kind of appoint somebody in their care to be a coordinator for them. Okay. Is there, are there any online resources where you could to learn about self-care, but be able to kind of connect the dots online somewhere? Is that, is that even reality at this point? There are many different uh, things out there for cancer. I mean, there's a lot of different types of resources. Uh, that will give you kind of the ins and outs of what would be recommended care. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if, if there's like an online resource for a care coordinator necessarily, but, you know, looking at even the American Cancer Society or, you know, some of those types of websites, they will kind of lay out for you what components of care would be recommended. And from there, you can kind of build your own template of how you're going to fit all that together. It's awesome. So it sounds like if, if there's not a one-stop shop online that maybe you ought to um, invent that or <laughs> develop the protocol for that. <laughs> I'll put that on my to-do list, Becky. There you go. <laughs> Let's talk about meditation. I know you kind of touched on it a little bit and how important that is to the overall well-being of a cancer patient. Speak to that a little bit more, please, because I know there's more to say. Meditation is something that I've become very passionate about. And I'm a pretty busy person, so the idea of meditation was difficult for me at first because the thought of sitting still and quieting my mind was really difficult for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the more that I practiced and learned different forms of meditation, I realized that I do my best meditating when I go running. So mm-hmm. what I developed for resilience is a meditation CD that encompasses a few different types of meditation, and it serves as a guide. So You know, sometimes people envision themselves sitting Indian style and trying to just quiet their mind, and that's not all that is entailed in meditation. So I I like to provide that guide to kind of get people started because during the cancer journey, your mind is racing in a million directions. So if we can guide you through some relaxation and kind of teach you a little bit about how you hold your stress and what you can do about that stress, uh, Mm -hmm. that's, that's a really helpful tool for patients. For example, the meditation CD that I created has a component of restorative yoga where we walk you through a complete body scan, teaching you how to relax each body part, also making you aware of where you're holding stress. Uh, Then we teach you how to do some deep breathing techniques to relax and also how to set a mantra, which is basically a phrase uh, or a word that you tell yourself throughout a meditation that kind of keeps you focused. Or to sort of set an intention before you go into that. Okay. And we work a little bit on visualization. And then also there's a section on there that addresses um, just affirmations of health. Just not rocket science, but just some things that remind you that the things you're doing for your body still make it strong and powerful. 
That's awesome. So is this meditation CD something that you make available to the public or is it just something for your, uh, for your clients that come into you to see you? We do have it available to the public. It's on iTunes and Google Play and uh, okay. through my website. And then we do carry physical CDs in our department for our patients. Okay. So how would a person get it from iTunes? What's it called? Um, just by searching Resilience Rehabilitation. Okay. It's a meditation tool for health and wellness. And it does okay. have uh, listed by my name. Okay, excellent. Because um, it sounds like something that we should all put on our phones or wherever we need them. So um, <laughs> that's really awesome. So I want to talk a little bit, before we run out of time, we have a few more minutes. I want to talk a little bit about your advocacy work that you do because, you know, that's a whole different area. And um, there's something called the Lymphedema Treatment Act. And so tell us about your advocacy work and what is that act? What does it do? I have been an advocate at the state level and the federal level for the Lymphedema Treatment Act. And basically, the Lymphedema Treatment Act is a federal bill that aims to improve insurance coverage for doctor-prescribed medically necessary compression supplies that are kind of the cornerstone of lymphedema treatment. So basically, what we're recommending in order for patients to be able to keep their lymphedema under control those items are often expensive and they are not covered by all insurance companies or Medicare at this time. That's true. And the ones and that do important. probably don't pay a lot, you know. So, yeah, so this act, where's, where's it at now in the, in the process? Are, are you getting close to pushing it through or I believe tell me about we're that. getting close. Uh, we, we don't okay. really know what to predict about health care at this, this, this time with, with all of the government changes, but we've done a beautiful job of advocating and we have many, many supporters on board at both the state and federal level, but Mm -hmm. we certainly need more. And I would encourage anybody who has a desire, who's living with lymphedema, knows somebody with lymphedema, to go on lymphedematreatmentact.org and basically fill out um, the informational form to one of your representatives. There is kind of a pre-formatted letter on there, but there's a section where you can explain why this is relevant to you why you care about this, um, but it is, it's life-changing for somebody who deals with this condition on a daily basis. So lymphedematreatmentact.org. Okay, I'm going to have you spell lymphedema because I've seen it spelled a million different ways, and let's get it <laughs> right so people can find it. So lymphedema. Okay. Lymphedema is L-Y-M-P-H-E-D-E-M-A. Okay. Okay, excellent. So that's what our listeners can do to help with this is to go onto that website and research for themselves. And then is, do they sign a petition there? Or what, what do they do when they get there? Uh, basically, there's an area where you can locate the um, representatives in your area, either at the state okay. level or the federal level. And then there's okay. a, a pre-formatted letter on there explaining the condition of lymphedema and why this is okay. relevant. And like I said, okay. there's an area also that you can put in your own thoughts, uh, but that will go directly to your representative. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Well, we still have a few more minutes left. So I, I want to ask you what final tips and advice can you share with our audience that they can just go oh, and take that home with them? You know, if <laughs> what anything that any aha things or, you know, anything you want to go back and reiterate that you that we talked about earlier. What, what final thing, parting thoughts? I would say as far as cancer rehab is concerned, that we are really pushing for prehab, meaning that 
the rehabilitation journey starts at diagnosis. We want to start working with you before you even uh, endure any of the treatment so that we can be with you as a partner throughout that journey and keep you educated and keep you self-monitoring and then us monitoring for any complications along the way. Um, That's wonderful. Email-wise, prevention is ideal. So if we can educate you on the system and teach you strategies to keep that at bay or to catch it right away, mm-hmm. that also is okay. ideal. Um, and then, you know, just overall, I would say there's just a, a big importance in finding a great balance in your life between diet, exercise, um, good psychosocial and emotional health, and creating a very positive support team or environment for yourself. Excellent. So how do people, just real quick, I know if you're in Lincoln, Nebraska, you, you're very fortunate because you've got her right there in your community. But for people who are not in your community, is there something that they should ask when they go to their physician when they first get diagnosed? Is there something that, you know, some wording, something that they should say to their physician to try to get this kind of care? So you, I think you said something about nurse navigators. Um, should they ask if they have an occupational therapist on board? Is that Would that be the best way? Yes. Cancer rehab can be completed by an occupational therapist or a physical therapist, so it might vary okay. in your area. But asking okay. for um, a preoperative evaluation so that you okay. can be monitored, have a pre-surgical measurements taken for a lymphedema prevention, oh, that would be ideal. that's a good idea. Yeah, because who yeah. knows, maybe my arm's always been an inch and a half bigger. I don't know. <laughs> so preoperative evaluation, ask for an occupational therapist or a physical therapist. Okay. Um, yeah, because I, I, you know, I just don't know how many places in this country, or actually because we're global, how many places all over the world have this kind of thing. So if they are, we're, we're running out of time. So if we are, just real quickly, if they do happen to live near you, how do they get a hold of you? What Do you have a website? Um in any way that they Absolutely. can reach you to, for more if information. If you're for medical care, um, I can be found at leadingcancercare.com. I am with the Southeast Nebraska Cancer Center in Lincoln, Nebraska. And if you're looking to um, get in touch with me regarding resilience rehabilitation, I have a website, mm-hmm. www.resiliencerehablnk.com, and there is email links on there to get in touch with me. Excellent. Well, Dr. Bender, this has been a wonderful interview. Thank you so much for, you know, if anybody's listening to this right now and they're, and they missed parts of it, or you have a friend who needs to hear it, this will be live on our, um, or uploaded to our, our host page shortly, and you can go in and listen to it anytime you want. So, um, Dr. Bender, thank you so much for being a guest on our show today. This has been a wonderful interview. I really appreciate you taking the time out of, I know you're a very, very busy schedule. So thank you. And for all of the people that are listening to this show if you enjoy what you're hearing we'd love you to go online to breastfriends.org there's a big blue button at the top consider pressing that button make a donation so we can keep this program going and until next week we will be back and remember there is always hope and we're here to help you find it thank you for listening to breast friends cancer support radio Please join Sharon Hannafin and Becky Olson again next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is always hope, and we'll help you find it. We'll talk again next time.